As COVID-19 continues to keep millions of people at home, more people are trying and playing video games than ever before. Embracing endless hours of Animal Crossing, Fortnite, or Valorant during long stretches of isolation? That's nothing new to generations of gamers who are all too familiar with how to comfortably shelter in place. With its surging popularity comes new opportunities for important conversations in and outside the gaming world. Not surprisingly, things get competitive. From the latest console wars that have Sony and Microsoft battling it out to become your next living room fixture, to a new focus on long-standing social issues involving toxic subcultures that have plagued the gaming industry for years. A fresh look at what players are engaging in and how they're engaging can offer key insight into an ever-evolving gaming culture. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story looks at how brand loyalty and exclusivity continue to shape the gaming industry. As July 2020's Xbox Games Showcase reignites a historical PlayStation-Xbox rivalry, new details about the Xbox Series X hint at how the next-generation console war is shaping the future of gaming. Our second story takes a closer look at gaming culture through a phenomenon known as review bombing. As The Last of Us Part II becomes the latest major release to draw the wrath of armchair critics, Will aggregation review platforms like Metacritic become an important battleground in an exhausting culture war? This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, how a closer look at what the upcoming Xbox Series X release means for the future of gaming and the next-gen console wars. You are. Breathe. No! You don't get to tell me what to do. You don't get to tell me anything! That was not a disgruntled gamer, frustrated about the current lack of Xbox Series X clarity, but actually from an official look at Halo Infinite gameplay. Featured at the Xbox Games Showcase on July 23rd, 2020, it was one of the many next-gen titles gamers have been itching to get their hands on. Leaning on an iconic franchise like Halo could bode well for Microsoft, as it does its damnedest to mount a comeback in the heavily contested next-gen console war. Hoping users will want to buy the console that lets them play the widest variety of masterclass titles, Microsoft did its best to make a splash, pulling the curtains back on some of the heaviest-hitting games that will anchor the release of the Xbox Series X. Whenever that ends up happening. More on the fuzzy holiday 2020 release date in a moment. The live stream event offered no updates on the console itself, but in addition to exclusive titles like Fable, Avowed, As Dusk Falls, and State of Decay 3, to name a few more, updates on key Microsoft features could be just as important as anything else. To that, here's what Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, had to say during the official Xbox Games Showcase. We believe that how you find and play your games is as important as the device you play them on. Xbox Game Pass is the best way to discover and play. And we want you to be able to experience as many great games as possible. So Game Pass members, you can play every game you see today from your subscription or free to play. These games will look and play best on Xbox Series X. 
delivering unmatched fidelity, performance, precision, and immersion. And we've designed the most consistently powerful next generation console. As for specs, write this down. The Series X has 16 gigabytes of RAM AMD's Zen 2 CPU and a custom-made AMD Navi-based 12 teraflop GPU, offering a sustained, consistent GPU performance, making it one of the most powerful consoles ever. Microsoft will, of course, have to go up against Sony's PlayStation 5, which will be no small walk in the park. And while gamers now have a better idea of the IPs they'll be able to play on the Series X, a cloud of uncertainty remains, like what is the Series X being released and how much will it cost? Plus, how will it stack up to Sony's arsenal of exclusive games? All great questions. Here to help us figure out what we can make of it all is Jen Glennon, Associate Entertainment Editor at Inverse. She knows a thing or two about this all. Hey, Jen, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Tanya? Good. So post-Xbox Series X games showcase, you know, now that the rumblings have settled a little bit, what's your takeaway? You know, where does Microsoft stand in the console game and winning over gamers? Was this event enough of a rev up ahead of the release? What's your sense of the gamer reaction? The reaction was a bit of a mixed bag. I think Microsoft's big showcase is Halo Infinite. It's the latest in their very popular shooter series. It's kind of an outer space blasting aliens thing. And and a lot of fans online were kind of underwhelmed by the visuals of it. It didn't quite you know, hit the standard uh, that of graphics and stuff that we've seen with Sony's PlayStation 5 stuff so far. But I think what Microsoft is doing is is attempting to cater much more to kind of a value proposition uh, with consumers instead of, uh, you know, making you buy a new copy of every game when there's a new console released. Uh, Microsoft wants you to be able to play their games on their old hardware, the Xbox One, on Series X, or on PC. Uh, You can play it on whatever piece of hardware you want, so they're not really pressuring you to upgrade to new stuff. And I think that's going to appeal to quite a lot of gamers who aren't quite ready to shell out five, six hundred bucks for a Sony PlayStation 5. Right. Again, and that price tag, still a mystery technically. So what do we make of that? Anything that leads us closer to any real hints well, we know we know a little bit about what to expect from the price of both uh, Sony and Microsoft's new consoles. Bloomberg reported a couple months back that just the cost, uh, the manufacturing cost of the hardware for PlayStation 5 is somewhere around $450, which means you're looking at probably at least a $500 price point for that. Now, Microsoft is probably going to come in around the same price point, if not a little less. And one of the big advantages of of Series X over PS5 is that you don't need to buy new controllers, new accessories, any of that stuff. All your old stuff, if you have an Xbox One, your old controllers will all work on, on Series X. And a lot of past generation games, they call this backward compatibility. You can still play them on, uh, on your new Xbox Series X, which means you don't need to walk out of Best Buy or Target uh, after just having spent four or five hundred dollars on a console and then buy games controllers and all those extra costs right up front as far as hits go as far as games go what do you make of the showcases of these first party games that were featured because you know you look at the playing field sony's playstation has exclusive hits this summer in the last of us part two for one we've 
certainly discussed that game at length on this podcast. The Xbox console struggles to create that exclusive hit. So is that where the focus on things like Game Pass, at, you know, smart delivery, uh, whatever cloud service follows thereafter, is that where the focus comes in? Yeah, I mean, I think that is very much Sony's play is is uh, foregrounding their first party games, stuff like Spider-Man, Miles Morales, the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, those are kind of big launch titles for them. And Sony is going all in on those unique exclusive games. Um, the head of Microsoft, his name's Phil Spencer, he's made it very clear that that's not going to be Microsoft's strategy other than, you know, a couple exclusives like Halo, like they are not going all in on just these games that you can only play on Xbox. They're all about kind of encouraging people whether they want to play on PC, whether they want to play on older hardware, or whether they want to play on a phone or tablet uh, with the new xCloud service that they're testing that's kind of similar to Google Stadia. They want to encourage people to play Xbox games in however ways they want, whether that's connected to a traditional console or, you know, on an iPad or something. Right. And still missing some key details. Having said that, post-showcase, it seems like we do know more than we have. With holiday season 2020 seeming like a ways off, especially these days, time is certainly different. What do you expect in terms of teases or teases of teases, as they've been known to become? What can gamers look out for in terms of clues, in terms of what might be worth listening for? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's some rumors that Sony is going to reveal some more information, whether it's about PS5 games or about the hardware price. We don't really know that yet. I would expect, uh, given how Microsoft seems to be angling for like a value play, we'll probably hear the price of Series X first. And there's also been a kind of longstanding rumors that they're also developing, like Sony is, a digital-only box, which would not have a disk drive. And it means you would kind of download games and need to have a, a pretty snappy internet connection in order to take advantage of that. And that would also allow them to bring like the price point down, having an all, all digital one. So I think we were very likely to see that announced soon. Sony had already come out with that in their own digital model in June. And that was sort of a surprise at the time because everyone was talking about that in the context of Microsoft doing one for Xbox, but not really Sony. So, you know, that shoe has yet to drop on Microsoft. But I think what we're still waiting for is price and when you can pre-order it. Listeners can get the full details at inverse.com. You can also head there for the very latest. In the meantime, Jen, thanks so much. Thanks, Tanya. As The Last of Us Part Two becomes the latest major release to draw the wrath of critics, a review bombing subculture is forcing the gaming industry to address longstanding political and social issues. Up now, how Inverse says we can start to fix things. Last of Us Part 2, man, you have just been, you will not stop talking about this. Last of Us Part 2 has been out for 12 hours and it already has 14,000 user ratings. I expected this to happen. You went on a whole rant, a whole barrage of personal abuse. I hate review bombing. Review bombing is when the community doesn't like something about a particular, you know, things. Review bombing provocado desde el The Last of Us Part 2. Last of Us Part 2 is completely bombing on Metacritic. Everyone's bagging on The Last of Us Part 2. 
Critics and fans often look to scores on review aggregation sites as a key way to measure a game's quality. With an audience of 2.3 million, Metacritic, owned by CBS Interactive, remains the industry's go-to source thanks to its site traffic. While Metacritic says it takes score manipulation seriously and enforces numerous policies to maintain score integrity, a glaring flaw in its system may open the door to an internet phenomenon rampant in the video game industry, review bombing. With intent to deliver destruction, basically, this type of bombing is part of an effort by a group of fans who are upset about a particular feature in a game. And if you'll recall from a previous podcast, fewer games in recent history upset fans more than developer Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part II. Negative comments rolled in super early thanks to a leak in April 2020. Up in arms for what they saw as its social justice warrior political agenda, some gamers objected to Naughty Dog's showing of queer relationships and gender non-conforming characters. And should all else fail? Review bomb. Here with how this further opens the door to addressing the long-standing problem of review bombing and what Inverse suggests we can do to limit the issue is associate entertainment editor at Inverse, Jen Glennon. Hey, Jen, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So not too long ago, we spoke about the negative feedback about this game from a certain loud minority. In one of the latest instances, we see this review bombing now. Just to back up for a second, is this a prevalent problem, would you say, in the gaming industry? Is it fair to say that this is a handy tool certain groups have at its arsenal? Yeah, I mean, I think there is the kind of nerd culture and, and fandom tends to be associated with uh, young men of a certain stripe. We first saw this sort of stuff with The Last Jedi, uh, the Star Wars movie that came out in 2017. A lot of people didn't like that for various reasons because of its handling of particular characters, how it kind of you know played with our expectations of what a Star Wars movie should be. The same thing with Captain Marvel. Complicating things with The Last of Us particularly is there was a leak of some of the big story points in the game in, in late April, early May. So a lot of people read those online and kind of came to swift and immediate judgment about what the game would be and decided it wasn't for them. So the whole th point of the writing all these reviews has been to discourage other people from checking out the game. And again, you look at what happened with The Last of Us 2. If ever there was a review bombing, I mean, we saw Metacritic flooded almost instantaneously with negative reviews. And reviewers can do this because... You know, the floodgates are open. There there aren't many ways to stop entries. One could say Metacritic makes this relatively easy. Do they, I mean, how do they address their system that's in place and, and what's their explanation to their process and why this is their process? There isn't much of a process at present. In order to create a Metacritic account, you just have to enter your email address and then check your email inbox and verify that it's you. And then, you know, within minutes, you can post a review on whatever you want. You know, they do have a moderation team in place. They didn't specify how large that team was. But I think when I wrote the story, it was four days after the game's release. There had been 70,000 user reviews. This is a game that I've played and finished, and it took me 27 hours to beat. It's very unlikely that all of these people, all 70,000 of them, managed to complete this quite lengthy game in time to actually write a fair and balanced review of it. 
User content is how sites like these get traffic, make money. You know, you see how companies have to ultimately walk this line between handling business and handling tough, sensitive issues. It's a very familiar concept with media companies these days. It's tough to resolve, but there are things we can do to improve things. At least Inverse thinks so. It, it has proposed some good food for thought. Um, so I thought we could go through some of these concepts. One of them is flame management, let's call it. Do you think more moderation and perhaps even a process that earns posters the right to post might help matters. Yeah, I certainly think that's part of it. And that's something that a rival site that specifically focuses on game reviews, it's called Open Critic. That's something that a policy that they're doing now, or at least thinking of rolling out, they don't yet do user reviews, but they want to do it in a way that doesn't cultivate this kind of free-for-all of, of review bombing. So I think kind of having to earn your way to visibility is, is, is something that's worthwhile here and worth considering, not make it quite so easy. Another way of doing that on Amazon, your reviews will indicate if you if it's a verified purchase. People could also choose to opt in to share their like PlayStation Store credentials or Nintendo eShop credentials to verify that they in fact own this game. You know that they have put their money where their mouth is, not just I read some things on Twitter and I don't think I'm going to like this game. Right. You know, another issue is trying to find a way to authenticate reviews. You know, one thing that reeks of review bombing is how quickly these negative reviews can appear. So in looking for ways to avoid that, there's got to be some kind of way to at least pretend that only players that have actually played the game are posting about it. I think part of this is because when media outlets usually get games about a week or so early, and depending on the game, with The Last of Us, critics' reviews went out a week before. So the ability to post a user score, as is my understanding from CBS Interactive, the review scores for The Last of Us open at around midnight on the day of release. And, and for The Last of Us 2, this was uh, June 19th. So at any point after, after midnight, anyone can post. I think, you know, perhaps setting that, that window out a few days, maybe even letting the weekend go by, would probably eliminate, not eliminate, but it would reduce this problem to some degree. It would make it a little bit less attractive. However, you know, I think the ability to freely post this kind of stuff is a draw for Metacritic. It gets people to their page. It gets people to look at their other content. And, you know, until they can strike a balance between kind of letting their users run wild and, and you know, bringing them to the site, uh, this is going to continue to be an issue. Considering what we just said about how these sites make money, eliminating user reviews seems a little far-fetched, but there are sites that do this with success. What do you think of that concept and how it would play out here? I don't think it's it's tenable or appealing probably for Metacritic to totally eliminate user reviews. Right now, OpenCritic, their kind of gaming-focused uh, review aggregator, it doesn't have user reviews, but it wants to add them. But I do think they can be a little bit more, Metacritic, I mean, can be more proactive in terms of its approach. Like, it's was pretty clear several weeks ago that The Last of Us 2 was going to be controversial. Some of the editors and writers, they could have flagged this up. They could have drawn more moderator attention to this particular game. Not all games are going to require this because not all games are going to elicit this sort of vitriol and this kind of response. But you can usually spot the ones that are going to. And this one, I think anyone in the gaming journalism space would have seen this coming weeks ago. 
There's a lot more to the story at inverse.com. You could head there for more. In the meantime, Jen, thanks so much. Thank you. Since we recorded this interview, Metacritic has stopped letting users review games on the day they're released. A new policy change in July has locked reviews, requiring users to wait 36 hours from when a new game is released before leaving a score. You can click on the link in the show notes for that story and all others we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.